Well, good morning, church. Oh, you talk back to who's ever speaking. That's wonderful. You know, we are so delighted to be here. I'm telling you, I had to lean over to your pastor and say, this is the warmest, most welcoming church. And we're in a lot of churches, but I want to stay. Can I stay forever? That would be wonderful. Well, I'm Linda of Ray and Linda Noah. And we are the Petros Network, which Petros means, uh, well, Petra means faith. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Petros means little pebbles networking together. And Ray and I believe probably what you believe, that where you're born should not limit your access to Jesus. And so that shouldn't be the, where you're born shouldn't mean you can't hear about him. So we go into very rural villages like what you've seen, and we equip and train an indigenous church planter to go into this community, and they have often never heard the name of Jesus ever, 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 ever before. So it's just a really big spiritual encounter. It could be Islam, it could be witchcraft, it could be traditional religions and they plant the church in the community, and we have seen, so far, incredible numbers. If you are wondering if God is on the move, he is on the move. Let's look at some of these numbers. 6.3 million people have heard the gospel. This is basically, I don't know, since in the last 15 years, 1.3 have come to know Jesus, and we've planted in the midst of that 6,700 churches in very rural, unreached, and underserved areas. And what we do is we go into an area, and first of all, we share the gospel. We tell them the good news. And typically our areas are, you know, less than, well, 98% something else. So very, very, probably hostile to the gospel. So we go in there. There's often a power encounter of some kind because they believe in other gods and other religions. And we share the good news, and then we follow that up with showing the good news. We show the good news through women's empowerment and feeding children. We do health care, all those kinds of different things. Because you can talk about Jesus, but you also have to show your love of Jesus, don't you? And that's why you do things like serve the city, like you did or maybe last week or a few weeks ago. And then we watch it spread like wildfire. And we call this whole process redemptive lift. We go into a, an area and we create redemptive lift. And we watch places that are completely hopeless with not just struggling in every way, in every way from economically to spiritually. And then we watch it turn into a place of hope. Because something really happens when people begin to take on the idea that they are created in the image of God, and he favors you, doesn't he? He favors you. And Psalm says he desires to perfect every single thing that concerns you. And so we watch as these people begin to take on the very nature of Christ, how their lives change, and they evolve. Well, we want to invite you to join with us in this great partnership. You can go on a trip. Have you ever thought about going to Africa? We will take you. Now, I'll tell you, a church is usually sticks, tin roofs, and maybe mudsides. The bathroom, mmm, not probably something you're used to. 
but it's an amazing experience, and we'd love to have you go with us. We'd also love to have you pray for us. We are doing a spiritual encounter. It is, we have so many stories about what God is doing in the miraculous. We would just love to have you pray for us because we really need the prayer. And we would love to have you, if you feel led, to give to us and help us to plant the churches and care for the poor with compassionate acts. Now, we have a QR code. I see that your church is quite hip and uses QR codes. Not every church is as hip as this church is. So we also have a, a way you can sign up to be a part of our newsletter uh, at the table. We'd love to meet you. I'd love to shake your hand and get to know you face to face. We love getting to go into churches and, and hearing what you're about. I'd love to pray with you if you need prayer. You know, um, we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stories. If I told you all of them, you would think something was wrong with us because they're so miraculous. I'm going to take two seconds and share one. One story. He gives me one more second. One story. Uh, a church planter was praying in his church. And his church was sticks. It had mud on the side. It had a tin roof. He was in an area that is 98% Islamic and possibly some other religions. 85% of the men are addicted to chat, which is a, a drug there. 35% of the women are addicted to this chat. So it's a really a rough area. And he was in this isolated area, and he was praying. Well, one day, a family whose mother had died was carrying their mother on sticks and walking by the church. And there was about 60 of them. And as they walked by the church, the mother sat up in her grave bed. And they kind of all look at each other like, what? And then what kind of magic is in this place? So they saw this building, and so they walked into the building. They said, what kind of magic is in this place? Our mother just came back to life. And the church planner said, no magic. This is Jesus. He has power, like you have sung today, to resurrect that which was dead back to life. And that could be a life, that could be job, that could be your marriage, that could be your emotions, that could be so many things. God is that powerful and he cares for you. We're so excited to be here today. Please stop by and say hello because you know, I get lonely out there if you don't come by and say hello. And I've got mints until I run out and we're just so glad to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you, Linda. And uh, Linda forgot to say that she has $1,000 uh, Amazon cards to give out to anyone who signs up for the letter, right? Or is, no, that's next week we're going to do that. So, Well, it is an honor to be with you here at uh, Family Life Church, whether it's in person or online in the Carleton campus. Hello to all of you as well. And uh, it is a, a super delight to be with our dear friend, Dave Benson. We love the Bensons, and Dave has been a good buddy of mine for many, many years. We are in a pastoral peer group together. One of the things that we did, one of the fun things that we did was we went on a multi-day raft trip down the Rogue River, the wild and scenic Rogue River. And when you're facing death in the rapids or bears at night, uh, you learn a lot about people. And I have some stories about Dave, if anyone is interested. So... <laughs> I guess we kind of have stories, we have stories about each other. So we're going to be nice. We're going to be really nice to one another. And then over the years, uh, the last two years especially, since we left Portland Christian Center to take a step of faith to do Petros Network full-time, uh, Dave has been both a supporter and an encourager. And so that means the world uh, to us. 
And I am delighted today to take the baton from Pastor Dave uh, in this uh, series. I love the title. I love the thought of this, Great Lies from God's Words. The characters of the Bible are just amazing. And so I want to continue today this look at that you began a couple of weeks ago at the Apostle Paul, one of the guys that's becoming more and more and more of a hero of mine. I used to love the Old Testament characters, David and all those guys, but Paul is just a guy that fascinates me because of what God has led us into, and I, I find a lot of inspiration um, and instruction from him. So we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Do you have a Bible? Do you guys bring Bibles to church or use your phone or whatever? If you have a smartphone or a dumb phone or whatever it is, just uh, look at your Bible. I want to take you through some stuff. We're going to learn more about uh, the Apostle Paul. As your pastor said uh, brilliantly a couple of weeks ago, I listened to the sermon. I loved it. Um, that uh, Paul, the great theologian, greatest theologian ever, I think, uh, wrote 60% of the New Testament. That, I think I'm touching the bottom of this, and they told me don't do that. Sorry. <laughs> it was a shock that went through my body when I did that. But not only that, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but two-thirds of the history of the early church that we find in the book of Acts, that's the history of the early church, two-thirds of it is about Paul, uh, uh, you know, writing his journey or telling us about his journey from his conversion on the Damascus Road, even prior to that when he's, he's a jihadist against the church. And then he encounters Jesus, as you learned about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, to then becoming the first official missionary and missiologist of the church, and, and of course, this great uh, theologian as well. And then we learn about his four missionary journeys. Um, so we, the point I want to make is we don't lack for source material on the, on the Apostle Paul. There is plenty of material on his life. So my challenge today is actually to, to do justice to this great life in the time that's been allotted to me by your pastor. He's only given me an hour and a half to preach, and I don't know how I'm going to cover this entire life of the Apostle Paul, so I need a very long sermon today. I'm not going to do that to you, but I need a long sermon to do this justice. I feel like the mosquito that went into the nudist colony, and he looked around and he said to himself, so much material, so little time. <laughs> Linda hates when I use that little corny joke. So. So uh, speaking of long sermons, let's get after it. And speaking of long sermons, I want you to turn in your Bible or on your phone to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, which really gives us great insights into Paul's life, into his thinking, and into his heart. We're going to look specifically to begin with at verses 7 through 11, and then we'll go through the rest of the chapter. Now, just to set this up, Paul is on a missionary journey. And uh, he is on the way back to Jerusalem. So he's now, when we pick this up, he's in the city of Troas in uh, Asia Minor. And he's going to then sail from there to go to Ephesus. But he goes on past Ephesus, and he ends up in the city of Miletus. And we're going to pick up in that city as well. Uh, but for now, let's start at verse 7, and let's kind of set the stage for this. And it says, verse 7 in chapter 20, On the first day of the week, Paul gathered with the local believers in Troas, for communion or for the Lord's Supper. He was preaching, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. You think I'm bad? You think your pastor's bad? He kept on talking till midnight. The upstairs room where they, were, where they met was lighted with flickering, uh, with flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on and on and on and on, if you look at what Luke, Luke is writing Acts, right, He's, you can just imagine him going, and he was there, and he's going, oh, my gosh, he spoke on and on and on. And he went on so long <clears throat> that a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window seal, became drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep, and he dropped three stories to his death. 
Paul went down, bent over him, took him in his arms. They said, not to worry, he's okay. And he healed him. And then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and, and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them from dawn, uh, until dawn, from midnight to dawn, and then he left. So Paul, greatest theologian in history, preached so long that this young man nodded off, fell, fell fast asleep, sitting in a window, and he fell 30, 40 feet down to his death. Now, amazingly, that didn't put a damper on the service at all. <laughs> Can you imagine someone up in the, in the balcony up there that just tumbled over and cracked their head, and Pastor Dave says, not to worry, he's okay, and he just keeps on going and preaches, <laughs> preaches and preaches, right? So here's the deal. Here's the point I want to make. It's not the length of the sermon that makes it good or bad. It's not the length of the sermon. I would even argue, based on what I'm about to say, that it's not even the content of the message that makes it good or bad, but it's the heart of the shepherd out of which the sermon flows that makes it effective or not. That's what I love about your pastor. I know he's got a good heart and a heart for the Lord and a heart for this church. So if you read the entirety then of Acts chapter 20, you get great insights into the heart and the mind and the, the spirit of Paul, great theologian, missionary, church planner, uh, and apparently long-winded preacher. So what do we find out about Paul in chapter 20? So I want to just kind of take you through the high points um, going from Troas to Miletus and, and what it says about Paul or what Paul says of himself. And we really do get, I think, amazing insights into what made this guy tick. So let me give you seven things. Now, this is not a seven-point sermon. These are just going to be really quick, and I'm not going to delve into each one of these. You can read it and, and uh, kind of research this or think about this for yourself. I would encourage you, if you are, to, to take notes and then go back and think about these. So let me give you seven things that we find in chapter 20 about the Apostle Paul. So first of all, if you look at verses 11 and 12, which we just read, we see that Paul was a man full of faith and confidence in the Lord. Paul had confidence. He put his faith, his trust in the Lord. The guy dies, he says, don't worry, he's alive. And the young man, after Paul had healed him, was taken home unhurt, uh, verse 12 says. If you looked at Acts 27, we don't have time to do that this morning, but if you looked at Acts chapter 27, when Paul is on the ship, and, and he ultimately shipwrecks, remember that story? You, you see, Paul is, they're in a hurricane. For days, they're in a hurricane, and, and everyone thinks they're going to die. And Paul says, don't worry, God's got this. An angel of the Lord stood by me, and, and we're going to be okay. Now, we're going we're gonna to wreck the ship. It's going to crash, and we're going to get thrown into the sea, but not one of us will die. Paul just had this amazing confidence in who God was and what God could do. So that's number one. Number two, Paul, uh, yeah, Paul was, I started to say Peter. We're talking about Paul, aren't we? Paul was a fellow sufferer with Jesus for the gospel. He was a fellow sufferer with Jesus for the gospel. Verse 19 says, I've endured the trials that came to me. I've endured the trials that came to me. If you looked over at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is given a defense of his ministry, he, he begins to list out all the things that he has suffered for Christ that really give authenticity to his apostleship, which is being questioned. And as I counted these, he, he talks about 12 different ways that he suffered. And in some of those ways, one way, it might be four or five different times in his life that he suffered the same thing. And these are things that, that I, I would bet you dollars to donuts, whatever that is, that, that none of us have come close to suffering. I mean, these are, this is high-level suffering that he gladly 
endured for Jesus. Number three, he was fearless in his preaching. He says in verses 20 and 21, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. Not what you wanted to hear necessarily, <laughs> but what you needed to hear. And that really is the mark of a great and a faithful pastor. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's what your pastor does. Tells you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Someone once said that the job of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and Paul and Pastor Dave are not afraid to do that. So we see that in verses uh, 20 and 21. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, he says, and, and I've had one message, repent from sin. You know the good news starts with the bad news? It's got to start there. You've got to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. Repent from sins, turn to God, and place faith in Jesus. And that is the gospel right there. That is the gospel. And he didn't shrink back from preaching that. Number four, he was faithful to God, faithful to God. Verse uh, 26, it says, Paul says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If you look over at the end of his life in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verse 7, he says, I have, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've run the race. He was faithful, faithful, faithful to God. Number five, he was fiercely protective of the flock. Verses 28 through 31 and he's telling the elders there in Miletus, he says, guard God's people, shepherd God's flock. Watch out, watch out for false teachers who won't spare the flock. And all the way through the New Testament, Paul is warning, warning the church, warning the elders, watch out for people that will come in. He said, Satan masquerades as an angel of light to come in and bring false teaching into the church. And I think today that's still as important, and maybe more so than ever before, that the pastor and the, the, the staff and the, and the elders have to guard this flock because Satan is very crafty. He knows how to attract people into something that will get them usually just a little bit off, not, not way off, but just a little bit off. And then over time, you just a little bit off gets to be a, a big ways off. So he was protective of his flock. Number six, he was flawless in his motives, flawless in his motives. Look at verses 33 through 35. He says, I've never coveted anyone's money or clothes. I've worked with my own hands to support myself. I'm your example of how to help the needy by working hard. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 11 as well. He says, I, I've, I've not charged you anything, although I could have as an apostle, but I've worked as a tent maker to support myself. So he was a co-vocational apostle. He worked in the marketplace. He gave great credibility to Jesus by the way he lived and the way he worked and how he shared Christ. And then he was also an apostle as well. Flawless in his motives. Flawless in his motives. And then number seven. And I'm going to move back up into the text earlier in the text to, to talk about this one because in a way all of these other six really are encapsulated in this last point that I want to make. And it's this, that Paul was fundamentally mission driven. He was fundamentally driven by his mission. Look at verse 24. It says, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that the Lord Jesus assigned to me. My life is worth nothing unless I complete the task. I, I fulfill the mission that Jesus assigned to me. So it's really no wonder when you look down at verse 37, it's no wonder that when he had finally finished speaking and was getting ready to leave, it says they all cried as they embraced and they kissed him goodbye. Pastor Dave, 
do people cry when the service is over because they have to leave you? They embrace, I'm sure they do. They never did that for me. They love Linda, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. But it's no wonder when you look at his love for the Lord, his love for the church, his passion for the gospel. I mean, people fell in love. The church, churches fell in love with this guy. Now, nothing explains the transformation of Saul, the anti-Christian Jewish jihadist, into the radical missionary that he became, other than this Damascus Road encounter with the risen Jesus. Not just a vision of Jesus, but Jesus showed up and encountered Saul, who became Paul. And it was in that transformational moment that, that Paul received his assignment. Remember, we're talking about he's a mission-driven uh, apostle, a pastor, missionary. He received his assignment from Jesus himself, which Pastor Apley described uh, two weeks ago when he, he started this series or this message on Paul. Nothing explains it more than that encounter. Jesus transformed him and gave him an assignment. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, uh, which tells that story, um, Jesus also shows up to a guy named Ananias in Damascus, right? So Paul's on the way to Damascus, Saul, to kill the Christians, to arrest them and do whatever he wants to to them. And uh, so the Lord um, shows up at the same time, basically, to Ananias, a, a Christ follower. And he says, look, uh, this, guy, this guy Saul has had an encounter with me. And I want you to find him. And I want you to nurture him. And I want you to introduce him to the church in Damascus. And, he, and Ananias is going, hey, Lord, I've heard about what this guy does. Uh-uh, no way. I'm not going to do that. And this is what Jesus says of Paul to Ananias. He says, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. Until then, Christianity was pretty well limited to the Jews, right? But God had bigger designs for the gospel, and he wanted to use the Jews to take it to the rest of the world, and, and they were kind of reluctant. They became very, you know, very ingrown in, in their understanding of what uh, God wanted them to do. And so he chose Paul. He says, Paul, I'm going to send you as a light to the Gentiles. And that was the very moment that Paul became ambitiously missionary, and that's the title of my message today, ambitiously Missionary, as, as Paul himself describes in Romans chapter 15 and verse 20. And this is what it says. And this, this verse has just rattled me and become really my, my guiding verse these days. Paul says, My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. And that's why we go to unreached villages. You know, we don't go to villages that already have a church. Somebody else can plant a second church there. That's, that's fine. I'm not against that. But God has put a passion in our heart to go to where people have never, ever heard the name, the name of Jesus. Because as Linda said, we, we believe just because a person happens to be born in a village that's never had contact with the gospel, that shouldn't limit their, their uh, uh, access to, to hearing about Jesus. And if, even if they reject him, they at least need to hear about him. And then perhaps to accept him as well. It says, my ambition is, has always been since the moment of his conversion to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been known, never been heard, rather than where a church has already been planted by somebody else. By the way, that's God's calling on your life as well. You may not be sent to an unreached village in Africa, but there are unreached people in Newburgh, and in Carleton, and in Yamhill County, in, in this area, there are unreached people on your, on your street, in your neighborhood. Uh, there are more and more unreached, you know, it used to be a time in America where just about everyone had heard of Jesus, right? Even if they accepted him or not. But, 
man, the, the numbers of unreached un, people who have never heard before in our culture is growing like never before. And so that's, that's God's calling on your life. And that's God's calling on my life. That is the call of God on Family Life Church to reach the unreached. And that's what Petros Network is all about. There was a missionary, another missionary, in the 19th century by the name of Henry Martin. Henry Martin was a young man, brilliant uh, theologian, and uh, just an effective missionary that went to India. I think he was from the Netherlands, maybe from England, but he went to India, and he began to preach the gospel, and then God led him away from India to go to Persia, which is modern-day Turkey and Iraq. But on the way, at 32 years of age, he got sick and died. He gave his life for Jesus. He's a brilliant young man, and he wrote many, many wonderful things. And one of the things that I read shaken me to the core, you know, that has just shaken me up. It's, it's, shaken my, it's shaken me to the core. It's been a part of what God has used to dislocate my heart, which I want to talk about in a moment. But this is what Henry Martin said. That, listen to this. Let these words sink in. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we become. If you don't remember anything else from this message today, I hope you'll remember this. I hope you'll take a picture of this or write it down or look it up somewhere. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we become. So if, if getting intensely missionary means getting closer to Jesus, and if getting closer to Jesus requires us to get more intensely missionary, then sign me up. How about you? I want to be near Jesus. I want to do what it takes to be close to Jesus. And that requires me to have a missional mindset, a missionary heart. And I thought I was. I thought I was. I grew up in a church. My father was a pastor. And uh, occasionally missionaries would come. You know, this is back in the old days. And missionaries would come. And if we were lucky, they would show, you know, those slideshows. How many remember slideshows, right? The rest of you are like, what is a slideshow? Look it up. Google it. It's, it's, it's cool. I was just a kid, and I, I, I saw pictures of people in far-off places. I grew up in southern Oregon where we all look like this, right? And I saw pictures of Africans and Asians and people from South America, and it just fascinated me. And I, I grew in my love for missions. And then as an adult, I became a pastor. And again, missionaries would come to the churches where Lynn and I served, and, and Man, they would, they would talk about what God was doing in far-off places, and it would just touch my heart. My heart would be a little bit faster. And, and I would feel good that we were a missions church. And I felt good because Lynn and I would give to support missions in various places around the world. And so we thought we, thought we were missions-minded people, missions-minded Christians. But that began to change when periodically the churches that I served in would send us overseas to mission, short-term missions Project And then this thing called Petros came along. And the first time I went to Africa with my 84-year-old mentor, uh, I hated it. I thought, this, is, this life is not for me. I'm not going to do this. I was there for a week with him. We were training church planners. By the end of that week, God had dislocated my heart Boom. from one side to the other for what he was doing among the unreached. He reshaped my heart. I saw what he was doing among, among people who had never, ever heard before. Signs and wonders and miracles. Linda told you one of those stories. We have, what, 70,000 testimonies, and it would, you know, it would literally would take until dawn to tell you just a few of those. It's just amazing things that God is doing in the missions context. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, when he says, my ambition is to take the gospel to people who've never heard before. If you went back a verse, 
He talks about how God has authenticated that with signs and wonders and miracles. You know, people often ask us, well, why don't we see the miracles in the United States that we see in, in the African context like you guys talk about? And, and I think there's a number of reasons for it, but I think one of the reasons is that there is an attachment, a promise to those who take the gospel that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. Remember in Mark 16, chapter 15, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And these signs will follow those who believe. So anytime you go out with the gospel, whether it's in Africa to some unreached person or across the street or at work or whatever, you can expect that God will show up and do the miraculous. Now, there are other reasons God's sovereign. He can do miracles for whatever reason he wants. But I just know that in the Bible and what our experience has been, the, the, miracle, the miracle working power shows up when we're taking the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And, and, and so, you know, just beginning to experience all of these things that God was doing, the miracles, the rapid growth of the church, the incredible growth of the church, just like the book of Acts, God completely dislocated my heart. And he gave me a burning ambition for missions, for reaching the unreached with the good news of Jesus Christ. So we saw in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, how that was Paul's driving ambition. So why did that become Paul's ambition? What was it? Well, it was because that was the ambition of the Jesus that he had met on the road to Damascus. The burning ambition of Jesus was missions, reaching people, crossing boundaries to go to people who did not know of his saving grace. According to Romans chapter 15, verse 21, if you go a verse ahead, um, Paul is quoting Isaiah's description of the suffering servant, the Messiah, ultimately Jesus, that we know as. And, and this is what he says, those who were not told about him, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. So Jesus came to planet Earth as a missionary Messiah to introduce them to the love of God. And so my um, sole purpose today, other than honoring God and talking about the, the Apostle Paul, is to... I can't do it myself, but, but I, my hope is, I guess, that God will dislocate your heart too. I hope that, that I will encourage you and exhort you or, or maybe make you totally uncomfortable with all of this until you really start to think about what God wants to do in your heart. And I hope that as a, as a result of today or as, as, as a result of starting the process today, that God will dislocate your heart for the things that cause his heart to beat fast his world a dislocate have you ever had a dislocation of anything anyone ever dislocated something it is not fun is it so I was at, this is during COVID I was I went to my my dentist and uh, which is always fun I it's, it's a lot of fun one of my favorite dentists is here and uh, <clears throat> they were working on a crown and it took a very very long time and they put this thing in my mouth to spread my jaw wide so they could get 15 hands in there to you know, to do all the work. And when they got done, they took the thing out, and the, the dentist looked at me and said, how you doing? I went, my jaw. They had dislocated my jaw. And she looked at me, and her eyes got big. It's not good when your doctor or your dentist's eyes get big. And she looked at me, and she said, I read about this in medical school, but I've never seen this before. That didn't comfort me very much either. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, well, give me a minute. She took off, left me like wide open jaw. 
Oh, fuck. I'm trying. The, the dental assistant is trying to talk to me, and I'm like, oh, fuck, really. Um, and so about 10 minutes later, she comes back in, and she says, okay, I read about this in the book, and here's what I'm going to try. Is that okay? I went, yeah, please. I can't shut my mouth, please. So she gets her thumbs in my jaw, and she tries to fix it, and she can't do it, and her eyes get bigger again. She goes, I'll be right back. She's gone for about another 10 minutes, and she comes back and says, we're going to send you to a specialist. So I get to drive myself to the specialist. My mouth, like, open. People are looking at me like in the car next, you know, what is wrong with that guy? I walk into the, the, the specialist, and, and at this point, I had a mask on because it was COVID, and they said, how can we help you? And I took my mask off, and I went, <laughs> you know, it's a, they took me back, and, and the specialist um, fixed it, and he, and he said, this is so easy to do. It's embarrassing when dentists see how easy this is if they just know the right technique. He fixed it in like about five seconds, right? But I'll tell you, that dislocated jaw changed my thinking about dentists. I still love my dentist. I go back to the same one. She's wonderful. But when she says, open your mouth, I went. <laughs> I mean, they cannot get my mouth open. It just changed the way I think about things. And I want God to change the way you think about his world and his mission, his heart for the lost. And I hope that it messes with you. I hope that it dis dislocates your heart. <clears throat> now, why does God's heart beat for the lost, the unreached? Well, I think the, the easiest explanation for that is the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. It's famous for a reason. It says, say it with me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the heartbeat of God. That drives God to do what God did. That drove God to send his son as a missionary. You know, missionaries are sent ones. They're sent across boundaries, across borders, across state lines, across the ocean, across to faraway places. Wherever he sends them, they're missionaries on a mission. And so God is a missionary God. The first time we meet God is in the book of Genesis. You know, we are we're interacting with God as he's looking for Adam and Eve who have fallen into sin. He goes looking for them. And then Jesus comes, and he's a missionary Messiah. And so right before his death, after Jesus has done everything that he could in his mission except to die, which he's about to do, he starts to pray. And he's praying in John chapter 17, and we call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus, beautiful prayer. And one of the things that he's praying about is turning over his mission to his disciples. He knows, I've done what I can do. Now I'm going to give it to them. The assignment is now theirs. The baton is being passed to them. They're to carry this forth. And in John chapter 17, verse 18, he says, and he's praying to the Father. He says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I now give them a mission in the world. And then after he rose, in John chapter 20, verse 21, he gathers his disciples back together. And he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, he commissions his disciples again. And by extension, he, commits, he commissions us as well. Everyone that follows Jesus gets this commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. And then he says this in verse 20. I love this. He says, and I am with you, even to the end of the age, the very end of the age. Wow. Did you catch that? When we go with the gospel, Jesus goes with us. 
Whenever we go with the gospel, Jesus goes with us. How does he do that? Well, primarily through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember that one? It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The Greek word is martus, martyr. You'll be my martyr. And sometimes we're called, a few people are called to give their lives as a martyr by dying. But all of us are called to be a martyr by giving our lives and living for the cause of the gospel. And we've been We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, not just so that we could be Pentecostal or charismatic or speak in tongues or have the gifts of the Spirit or feel good about our lives, you know, the warm fuzzies from this encounter with the Spirit. No, it was primarily to empower us to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, our Newburgh, our Carlton, uh, to our Judea, all Judea, uh, the surrounding areas, Yamhill County, our Samaria, Portland, greater Portland area. And even to the ends of the earth. The word ends there in the Greek language the New Testament was written in is the word eschaton. We get our word eschatology. Have you ever heard of that one? Eschatology is the study of the end times. And used geographically, it means to go to the very farthest place on earth and reach it with the gospel. Go to the ends of the ends of the ends of the earth and take my gospel there. That's my, assi- that's my, my assignment to you. And I've empowered you. And I'm with you. To do that. So whether you go across the street, across the fence line, uh, across town, across the tracks, across the county, across the state, across the sea, with the gospel, here's the deal. God, God has gone before you. He's waiting for you to show up. And God is with you, empowering you. When you're there, he goes with us. And, and after we have completed the task, our task of sharing the good news, and, and we're coming back home, God stays, and he finishes the task. What he has started, he will be faithful to complete it. God stays after we've completed our task of sharing the good news to finish the work. I'm going to invite the music team to, to come back in the next few moments and I'll just say this, that if we only knew the work of God that our missional obedience unleashes, when we pray, when, when, we, when we go on mission, when, when we give to mission, if we understood what God unleashes, we would become more ambitiously missionary than ever before. And so I want to challenge you to step out, take a, take a risk of faith, allow God to mess with your heart, and then do what he's calling you to do. And it will unleash something that you may never know about in this life, or you may get to experience it, but it will unleash something of God where he will stay and he will do what only he can do when you plant the seed of the gospel. Lynn and I had a, when we first started this in our church in Portland, we were asking people to to give to sponsor church planters. And there was an older couple in our church. Uh, He had been a pastor years ago in open Bible churches in rural uh, Wyoming and I think in California. They'd ended up in our church in retirement and they, they usually sat in the back of the church, and they were very quiet people, not, not really active, you know, not visible. But they cobbled together. They didn't have a lot of money. They cobbled together the, the money that we needed to sponsor a church planter. And, and, and then they sponsored a Bible. The people, the, our church planter study Bibles, and they sponsored one. And we assigned them a specific church planter missionary. So this was about 10, 11 years ago. So Lynn and I, after COVID, we hadn't traveled for a couple of years. After COVID, we went back. It left our church, turned it over to somebody else, went to, uh, to do Petros full-time. And, 
on our first trip back, we ended up in Ethiopia where we had started. And someone had told me, I think our missions directors here and nationally, and said, hey, there's a new a general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, our denomination, in Ethiopia, and we think you ought to meet him. I said, great. I knew the last guy. I, I loved him, and I'd love to meet the new guy as well. So it was arranged for him to come and meet us. And Linda was out with our team. I was at the, hosp uh, the hospital. I was at the hotel. And, uh, and this guy is brought over by our, our national leader, our Ethiopian national leader. And the guy walks up to me, and you'll see a picture of him here. He, he's the tall... Uh, good-looking one. Not me, the other guy up there. <laughs> and he sticks out his hand. And he says, my name is Ayansa Absi. I'm the new general secretary of, of the Assemblies of God of Ethiopia. And I'm missionary number 357 of the Petros Network. He was one of our first church planners. And I had no idea. And, and I, I looked over at our leader, our, our Ethiopian leader. I said, did you know this, that he was one of ours? And he says, oh, yeah. And I thought, I said, did you not think that not important enough to tell me? I mean, I'm just now finding this out. And he had a good laugh about that. And this uh, guy, Ayansa, told us his story, that he came up and with 12 other Assembly of God church planters, and we trained them, and they went on to our program for the three years. And he said, I'd never seen this many church planters in, in, one, in one area, one meeting that were being sent out. And he said, it just... It just dislocated my heart, and I got a vision. I got an ambition to go plant a church. So I went out and planted a church, and then I planted three more. I planted, three, uh, I planted four churches altogether. And then my denomination elected me to be the general secretary of the Assemblies of God, hundreds and hundreds of churches in Ethiopia. And he said, this year alone, this was, we, this was in June, he said, the first half of this year, we have trained and commissioned our people to go out and to share the gospel, personal evangelism. And we, we track it. We make them record it. We have witnessed to 800,000 Ethiopians in the first six months. And we have planted 50 churches in the first six months. And by 2025, we are going to share the gospel with 20 million Ethiopians, and we're going to plant 2,000 churches. And he said, by the way, we are using the, the, the methodology, the missiology that you taught us in that opening conference. And I thought, wow, I can die and go to heaven. This, this, this is a mic drop moment. This is going to live on. It is living on after us. So I went home. I came back home, and I called up the, the, the pages, who had, the old couple that had sponsored uh, Ayansa. And they didn't know the story. And uh, Alan Page, the husband, was now on his deathbed. He was just hours away from dying. And I went over. I, said, I called up and said, hey, can I do, come and do final communion with you? And, and I want to tell you something. So I get there, and Alan is on his bed. He's, he's conscious, but he can't talk. He's obviously very weak. He, he's going to die. He's facing death. And I started talking to him about what he had done 11 years ago. I said, you had no idea when you cobbled that money together and, and invested in a church planner. You had no idea what that was going to unleash. And I told him the, the results so far of what Ayansa and his team had done and what they want to do. And I said, throughout eternity until Jesus comes back, you're going to be there, and people are going to come. They're going to come up to you, and they're going to say, thank you for investing in the gospel. I'm here because of what you did. And he's just crying, and he's raising his weak hands, and they're shaking, and he's just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You never know what your missional obedience will unleash. It may not be like that. It may be more than that. You never know. But Jesus said, look, when you plant the seed, it will spring up. It will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It becomes kingdom economics once you obey God. So here's my challenge. Ask God to dislocate your heart to make it more ambitiously missionary than ever before. 
So let me pray with you. I'm just going to say a real simple prayer. And then really I want the song that we're going to sing to be your prayer as well. But would you just close your eyes and just allow the Holy Spirit to continue, more pointedly speak to you right now. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do an altar call. I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to take an offering or anything like that. But if you would just make this one small admission, if you would just say, I'm willing to let God dislocate my heart, whatever that means. I don't know what it means. I know what it meant for me. But if you just say, God, I'm open to what you have for me, would you just slip your hand up? Say, Pastor, yeah, I'm, I'm open. And then put it back down again. Whatever it is, I'm open. I just want to hear from God. I want to be closer to Jesus. So whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. God, I pray that for many, many people, whether here or online, uh, live stream, that raise their hands, that as they open their heart to you, would you be faithful to speak to their hearts? And would you be faithful to just empower them with what it's going to take for them to be obedient to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.